information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. Play our chances because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech when the situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms. Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. What's up, what's up, what's up? It must be Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Welcome to For the People, Law in Plain Language. It's me, Deb Rainey, your compassionate lawyer. With me in the studio is my For the People fam. Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet. What's up, fam? How's everybody doing tonight? Who was that? Who was that white boy? (laughs) That was her Uh, chestnuts roasting on it. Oh, my God, there she go. And as usual, our PhD candidate, simply the producer. Hey, producer. Should I sing now oh, or later? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you ever heard of tone deaf? She tone retarded, okay? And we're going to have her show you by doing her rendition of chestnuts being burnt all up on the fireplace. I got, she got backup, though. Backup singing and in they, the house. And they, they both sound like cats that fell on their rocks on their tails and the whole night. Anyway. I can sing. I Listen, y'all, about. thanks for joining us. If we don't say so before we get off the air, happy Thanksgiving to all of sure, you. Sure. As you guys have been aware, we've been doing a series of shows respecting folks who were exonerated from being wrongfully convicted. We had Brother Sujai Graham on the show a couple weeks back who spent time on california's death row we have another gentleman who's going to be gracing us with his um presence and he's going to share his story with us his name is mr leslie voss mr voss are you there before we get on the air i'm going to ask you to turn down the speakers on your on your computer computer excuse me so that we can have our um, conversation and those of you joining us if you do want to call the studio tonight mr voss is calling in because he's a busy man so I'm going to ask you to use our text line to call in tonight, sure. 215-435-4099. You can still email us, for the people at com. You can hit us up on Facebook, For the People, and you can follow us on Twitter, For the People. In addition, ladies and gentlemen, um, I have no idea what the hell I was going to say, but like <laughs> I said, we have Mr. Leslie Voss exonerated from um, Maryland. Um, he spent a number of years in jail. But Mr. Vaz's story is special. He was 17 in 1975 when he was um, arrested, charged, and wrongfully convicted for armed robbery based solely on misidentification or the witness's identification, who, by the by, identified Mr. Vaz four months after the robbery happened. Wow. I was actually watching a special on Investigation Discovery. That's my channel. 
It was a um, special on the problems with eyewitness testimony. It was a really, really good show. It was a really poignant show. So if you have DirecTV, do a search in your um, DirecTV box for misidentification or go to investigationdiscovery.com and um, look at this piece that they did. It was really, really good. It talked about people who make mis-IDs don't do it on purpose a lot of the times. Oftentimes, they've convinced themselves that the person that they identified is the one that did it mm. for whatever reason. Maybe the police put it in their head. Maybe there's something about that person. But let's be real. Somebody got a gun in your face. You ain't looking at that person's face. You're looking at that gun, right? Sure. And a lot of us as defense counsel use that. So Mr. Vaz is waiting in the wings to share his story with us really quickly. Leslie Vaz, can you say what's up to the people you out there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Did you hear that lovely introduction we did of you? Can you do me a favor? Turn, Leslie, turn your radio down for me. Oh, and I need it all the way down. Turn your speakers down on your computer for me because I can't hear you and I'm getting feedback from your speakers. Hello, people. How are you doing this evening? All right, Leslie, listen, I know you're listening to me through your computer because you you're responding. Me? I can, but you can't hear me. Do you have to turn the volume down all the way on your computer, baby? Turn the volume down on your computer speakers so that we, you and I can talk through the phone. And then we're going to send you a copy of the recorded thing. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's We heard the feedback from your speaker radios. And when you talk to us you on... You feedback? Not now. I them off. Yeah, now I can hear you better. But the reason I'm saying that... Better? Much better. And folks at home, when you call in, remember, you have to talk to us through the phone because of the internet connection. There's going to be a delay in your response and, and to my and questions. And it's, and and it's not like. just the internet connection. Even if you call a land regular local radio station there's always a delay so if you call Deborah. you're going to hear us afterwards yes leslie can you hear me i can hear you fine can you hear okay, us you're real real low i can barely hear you okay hold on for one second how was that is that better that's uh, a little bit better okay all right, so Leslie, I read a little bit about your bio to the folks when I was introducing you. And what okay. I'm going to do is come back to you periodically. But what I'd like to, for you to say to folks now, how long were you in um, prison wrongfully convicted? How much time did you spend inside? I was in prison for 10 years and, on an original 20-year sentence. And am I correct in saying you were 17 when you were wrongfully convicted? Yes, I was 17 attending Southern High School here in Baltimore, Maryland. Wow. Okay. Wow. And we're going to get to the story that led to your conviction. But let me ask you this. Since you've been out, what have you done? Well, uh, initially when I first came home, I continued to work on my case, and I was finally able to get it before the Board of Public Works in Annapolis, and I became the first uh, Maryland exoneree to uh, uh, receive compensation okay. for the time spent wrongfully in prison. Okay. I received a full unconditional pardon after it was conclusively proven that I had been convicted in error. Wow, okay, that's cool. And for those of you that don't know, we had a show briefly where we talked about pardons and expungement. A pardon, ladies and gentlemen, in most states is where you've been convicted of a crime in Pennsylvania, a misdemeanor or higher, and you've applied to the, that body responsible for pardons, they found that you satisfied all the requirements, they think you're a necessary and a good candidate, and they pardon you. Yao, bow, kneel, heal, we forgive you your past transgressions. Boom, the conviction goes away. And generally after that follows the petition to expunge that from your record. Or in other words, to say, look, I've been forgiven my sins, this conviction's going away, 
Now I'm going to ask you to take this away so there's no longer any record of my conviction. Have you done the expungement part yet, Leslie? Yes, I've, I've received uh, four separate expungements, Deborah. Uh-huh. You know, there was a problem with the uh, issue about my expungement. In fact, uh, I'm getting ready to address that again because in 2000, well, and let me explain. Uh, in 1986, uh, when I received the uh, full unconditional pardon from the government, I also got a court order from the judge in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, issuing an ex- uh, expungement order. That was the initial one, the first one, right? Right. Uh, which was not complied with, but I received a certificate of com- certificate of compliance where it was supposed to have been done. I uh, applied for employment because I had gotten my BA degree from Towson State University as in sociology, wow. and I'm a certified paralegal. Okay. But I couldn't get a job. Everywhere I turned. It kept coming up. This criminal record kept coming up, even though I had the full unconditional pardon and the order of expungement. For some particular reason, it was still being accessible. Huh. Well, let me ask you this. When you got the order of expungement from your, crowd, your criminal court judge in Baltimore, was that order also served on the state police in Maryland as well as the FBI's yes, um, it records? Was. It, huh. was, it was. It was distri- distributed to numerous agencies, all agencies that uh, should have had documentation of my arrest, conviction, and confinement. So what's the response to those agencies as to why they did not grant that well, expungement? They, well, for some particular reason, I don't know. To be honest with you, that's an issue that I'm still trying to figure out because uh, I don't know if I sent you the documentation. As of 2005, I... Uh, found that the they still had records. Wow. And in nineteen ninety eight, uh Jet magazine published a article where I had received additional compensation for the non expungement of those same records. Right. So as of today as you and I sit here now, have the records been expunged? No. Wow. That's crazy, man. Wow. But I have four separate court orders, though, and the certificate of compliance is saying that it has been done. Wow. So what may be happening to folks who are running your background check, they may be communicating with other agencies who are not state agencies who may or may not have reasons to comply with or give a shit about the court order. Sometimes that happens. Right now there are a whole bunch of background check agencies that are popping up all over the place and they have access to databases both criminal um, private and public and they pay certain monies to have access to those things so the people who are doing your background check for job purposes may be accessing some of those private agencies who may have had old stuff from you despite the fact that the expungement and the certificate of compliance have been issued so that's something you might want to check into and one of the things you might want to think about, too, Leslie, is reaching out to those um, employers and saying to them, okay, well, give me a copy of what it is that you're relying on to say that you don't want to hire me. And you can get a better understanding there from where they're getting this database information from. Does that make sense? I know in okay. Pennsylvania, once you, you have to file a petition for an expungement, you see a judge. The district attorney's office has an opportunity to challenge the petition, decide whether or not they're going to do that. And if they don't challenge it, the judge grants the order. Four days later, the lawyer gets the order. It gets sent to the 
Pennsylvania Administrative Office of Courts. It goes to the Pennsylvania State Police. The In Philadelphia County, it goes to the Philadelphia Police Department Records Room, and it also goes to the FBI. And I don't right. know that we've had any problems with any of those agencies complying with an order to expunge. I don't think we've ever had a problem. And then they all send us back letters saying, we got the judge's order. All records that we had have been destroyed in accordance with the order. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and I'm... I'm it may be also a situ- it may be an also a situation, Leslie. Nineteen eighty six, your court records might be microfished and they just can't find them. No, I'm, I mean, Deborah, I, I've been through the the whole litany with that. Uh, I have. Uh, I went to the administrative judge for the circuit court for Baltimore City, right? right? And they themselves sent the order back through, and also sent it to the FBI. Wow. And everything was done. I got, what I'm saying is that I received the verification advising me that it had been expunged. Let me, can I give you a little history on something? Yeah, but, but we're not there yet, and I don't want to get too far afield okay. from why we invited <laughs> okay. you to come on to the show. So, Leslie, okay. and for those folks out there listening, it's been our intention to shine some light on those folks wrongfully accused. The first person we had on the show in this line of shows, Leslie, was a brother by the name of Sujai Graham who spent 20 years on California death row. He, went to, he, went, he got convicted of robbery and got an indeterminate sentence. There was no definite um, right. sentencing date. While in prison, he and another kid, after you know, in the 70s when they were just killing black, black party movements, pamper movement people, right. folks like that. So he ended up being... Um, charged with and convicted of killing an inmate or a guard, I don't remember which, and he spent like 10 years on on death row trying to fight this case. And he's been out for quite a while, 20 plus years, but he still, okay. his story is so powerful, and when he presents it, it's so emotional that you, you, you get chill bumps, and if you don't start having second thoughts about the death penalty after you hear Sujai Graham's story, you must be a, a robot or a non-human. I'm telling right. you, it's I just. Know I've been advocating against that. I'm just. I'm telling you. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have on the phone with us Mr. Leslie Voss from Baltimore, Maryland. On February 15, 1975, Leslie Voss was a 17-year-old high school senior and basketball player. Was you good? Did you have any ups? Could you jump? Yeah, I could do. I could do to do. What was you a point guard? I, what was you a point guard or a forward? I was a center. Oh, so how how big tall are you? I played center. I was six. I'm six seven. Wow. I was six six at the time. Wow. You was knocking over bank boards, blackboards, and the referees, huh? Yes, I was. Mr. Voss had no criminal record at that time. When he made a trip to Baltimore's Westport Pharmacy to buy a paper for his mom, he was identified as one of three men who robbed the man's um, pharmacy four months earlier when the man was striked at. This man, Joseph Chester, was making a delivery to this pharmacy. And when he saw Mr. Vaz enter, he said he was one of the three guys from four months ago that arrested him. Interesting in Mr. Vaz's story, it took this man, Joseph Chester, a week to contact the police and tell the police that Mr. Vaz was one of the folks who um, robbed him. Mr. Vaz was arrested, charged with armed robbery, and tried as an adult in Baltimore City Circuit Court in a bench trial. For those of you that don't know, a bench trial means you're going head-to-head with the judge, no jury. The basis and the sole um, punch of the prosecutor's case was just Mr. Joseph Chester's identification of Leslie. Despite the inconsistencies in Mr. Chester's testimony, 
He kept saying, yeah, that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy, and was allowed to make an in-court identification of Mr. Voss. Ladies and gentlemen, let me stop you there, and Leslie, correct me if I'm wrong. In, in a lot of, in, well, in the federal system, and all states have to follow, you have the opportunity to file something called a motion to suppress. And what are you doing? You're saying that right. there's something in your stop that was illegal that the police should not be allowed to use. And in Leslie's case, it seems to me the first thing that should have been filed was a motion to suppress both the out-of-court identification and the in-court identification as being unreliable. Leslie, do you know if any of your attorneys back then challenged the no, identification didn't. at all? No, he didn't. Wow. The attorney that I had did not file for uh, any, any pre-trial motions, period. Wow. And uh, ladies and gentlemen... Also, there was never a lineup conducted wow. uh, in my case. And Deborah, uh, wow. let me, can I say this? Yeah. Uh, when I was arrested, I was under the impression that they were saying that, that I was charged with a robbery that happened then. You didn't realize I it did was four months. I did not know until wow. the day of my trial in the wow. course of the trial That's that crazy. the robbery had happened That's four and a half months crazy. prior to that. And ladies and gentlemen, what Mr. Vaz was referring to as a lineup, in Philadelphia County, the de- the defense bar, our um, habit, if our clients are, are charged with aggravated assault, robbery, uh, any, any kind of crime involving um, violence where there is a non-police witness, and then sometimes a police witness, before we have our preliminary hearing, we would ask the court to preserve a lineup. What does that mean? The next time the case comes before the court for the preliminary hearing, before we go into the actual case, we will argue to the judge what the law says respecting whether or not the witness should be forced to go up to our prison on State Road, identify our client out of a group of folks who are similar in size, shape, height, and skin coloring from the person that they're claiming committed this crime. Nine times out of ten in Philadelphia County, if there is a lull or a delay between when the actual crime went down and to when this so-called victim makes an identification to the police, we are normally granted a lineup, particularly where the identification results from photo arrays. And what is a photo array? The police spit out pictures of people from this machine based on the shit that they put in there, whatever they want to put in there, and then this is shown to the victim and they have an opportunity to identify. Let me ask you a question, Leslie. In Maryland, do you guys do grand juries or preliminary hearings? They have grand juries and they have preliminary hearings. Back when I was charged, I was charged by way of criminal information, uh, so there was no grand jury indictment. Wow. So you didn't have a show cause hearing after the information was no, presented. What ha- the, the attorney wait for my after I be, uh, came familiar with the process while I was inside the prison, I found out that my uh, attorney waived my preliminary hearing. And ladies and gentlemen, what that it's means mandatory that you have a preliminary hearing if you're charged by way of criminal information. Well, in most states, it's mandatory that you have some manner of a show cause hearing because that hearing is used by the court to determine whether or not there's enough evidence to waste right. everybody's time and send you to court. And ladies and gentlemen, what he means by waiving that, the lawyer lied to the court and said, yeah, my client has agreed to give up his right to have this show cause hearing. Let's go straight right. to the trial process. Mm. So, Leslie, when you were playing basketball, what were your grades like back then in high school? Was you, my was grades you, was good. What's good my mean? My grades was good. What's good mean? <laughs> C, B, D, E, what's good mean to I you? I mean, I had B pluses. Okay. All right. And, uh, I was a pretty good student. And what was your school attendance record like? Was you going to school, My dude? My school attendance was great because I loved going to school because I was playing what I, I liked to do, what I did. 
And the identification that this man made of you, from that little blurb that I read, did you walk into the pharmacy to get your mom's paper and he was there? Yes. Uh, I resided in the Westport uh, neighborhood. That's the uh, community, uh, public housing community in the South Baltimore area called Westport. Is there something? And I uh, went there to purchase a newspaper for my mother, which was a daily ritual for me to do. I right. was familiar with the owner of the pharmacy. Right. I also knew two delivery drivers who were full-time delivery drivers that worked at that pharmacy. Let me ask you a uh, question. When this, when this Joseph Chester said that he was robbed, was there any information, any word going around the community, around the hood, to say, yo, there was a delivery driver at the pharmacy robbed, did anybody ever challenge as to whether or not that happened? Find a police no. report to determine what the information was that was given to no. the cops? Nope. None of that happened. Deborah, uh, you know, the delivery driver was robbed uh, in a he, he Someone called the order in, and he went into another community, which was close to the Westport community called Cherry Hill. Right. And when he went to the Cherry Hill community to make the delivery, he said from the documents, he stated he went to the apartment to make the delivery. The people at the apartment said that they didn't call a delivery in. When he came back out to go to his vehicle, three men approached him and told him to give him what they had on him. Oh, so he wasn't robbed in the pharmacy. He was robbed right. somewhere he was else. Never, he wasn't robbed in the pharmacy. So As he I didn't said. even identify you. From the housing complex, he identified you as some random person who walked into the pharmacy. Is that right? Right. Wow. Right. What the Let me ask you something, Leslie. You got a big-ass nose, big-ass ears. Is there something about your face <laughs> that you know, stands that, out that made this 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 person? Oop, I caught myself. You know, Deborah, to this day, I'm still trying to figure out. You know, I mean, it's a crazy situation when you find out uh, four and a half months later that you have two co-defendants that suppose had admitted committing the robbery. And did they put and you in it? to this day, I've never seen them, met them. They weren't in court. Did These you have access? admitted committing the robbery. Did you have access? The same night the robbery happened. Did you have access to their statements to the Baltimore police or no? I didn't have access to anything did until your, after I got into the Maryland prison system. And well, I did your attorney... Did your attorney have discovery in that case? That is, the police reports and statements and identification no, reports? So when he went to trial, what did he have? The only thing he had was me in the courtroom, a young kid, scared, had no knowledge of the criminal law, and the, and the idea that he knew I had nothing to do with this case. Were you ever interviewed by the police before they officially... Um, no, I wasn't. Put the information out on you? No. So they never took a statement from you? They never took a statement from me. The only thing that happened was I went to the pharmacy to make the purchase. I walked out the door after making the purchase. Uh, I heard a person say to me, you with the leather coat on, get up against the wall. I turn around and look at the police officer with his gun drawn, pointed at me. And I'm 17 years old. You know, I have no idea what's going on. I, I, look, I pointed at myself and said, who, me? He said, yeah, you with the level code, get up, go get up against the wall. At the time when, to the wall when you went, this day when you went to this, this um, pharmacy to get the newspaper for your mom, was Mr. Chester in the, the pharmacy at that point? 
Did you notice? He was. Did you notice, dude, from anywhere from seeing him around the pharmacy? I didn't notice, man. I didn't. Uh, like I said, initially I was under the impression that they were saying that I had robbed the pharmacy. Right, right. When uh, I only met with this attorney two times, my mother was a custodian for Baltimore County uh, Public Schools. Right. Uh, raising three boys. Okay, I'm the oldest. I had two younger brothers. Right. Uh, she didn't have any understanding of the law or knowledge of the law, right? Right. She entrusted her, you know, my freedom to an attorney that she retained. She paid this, this lawyer? Attorney, wait, 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 I, hold up. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Your mama paid a lawyer for a bench trial. Let me ask you a question. No, she paid him, and he, I was supposed to have a jury trial. And let me ask you a question real quick, like B. This Joseph Chester person, was he African-American, Caucasian, African-American. And your attorney, was he African-American? No, he wasn't. Okay. Did you, and you, and your mother and you thought you were paying this lawyer for a jury trial, right? Right. We were paying him for a jury trial. Why did neither of you stand up and say, hey, why is there just a judge and no jury? What the heck's going on okay. here? Okay. When, and when I went. The July the second, nineteen seventy-five, when I went to the courtroom, uh, the attorney Robert Conrad told me when the judge asks what kind of trial you want, you're supposed to say trial by court. And I said, "Well, my, wow. I said, my mom said that I'm supposed to have trial by jury." Wow. Said, well, I'm the attorney, and I know what's best. Well, I'm gonna tell you and Mr. Vaz and all y'all out there listening. The decision as to whether to plead guilty, whether to take a negotiated plea, whether to proceed by way of jury trial, bench trial, or waiver trial, as we say in Philadelphia, bench trial, waiver trial, same thing. Waiver trial essentially means you're waiving your right to a jury trial and going head-to-head with the judge. Or taking a jury trial is solely, I'm going to say this loud and slow, solely within the province of the client, the accused. What does that mean? In a nutshell, I can't force you to waive your right to a jury trial. I can't force you to plead guilty. I can't force you to take a plea. Those are the things that are solely within the client's rights. Even in 1975, we had the same damn constitution we got now. So your lawyer pulled a fast one on you. Hold tight for a second, Leslie. Those of y'all out there listening, you got someone to say you want to offer some um, comments, some support to Mr. Vaz. Or just chime in to what we're talking about tonight. The number is 215-435-4099. Remember, the studio line is tied up with Mr. Voss. He's calling us from Maryland. What'd she say? <laughs> Mama Black got something to yeah, say. Well, yeah, Mama Black just think it's, it's crazy that he's still paying for something that he didn't do. Wow. And, and she said, strike that. She, she heard that almost slip. She heard that. <laughs> Mama Black is on point. Shout out to Mama Black. Shout out, you Mama Black. What's up? Shout out to Stephen Irwin. What's up, Stephen? Stephen Irwin was a young law student who used to work in my office. And he passed the New Jersey and the New York bar. That's my boy. Okay. That's mama's boy. Go ahead, Stefan. Ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking to Mr. Leslie Voss, who spent 10 years wrongfully accused and convicted of robbery of a man who identified him as the doer four months after the fact, whose lawyer bamboozled the brother into doing the bench trial without explaining his full rights to him. If you have any questions, any concerns, normally we would ask you to call the studio line, but Mr. Voss has called us in 
from Maryland because they couldn't be here in person. So we're asking you to call us and hit us up on the text line, 215-435-4099. Email for the people at DebraRainLaw.com. Hit us up on the Facebook page, For the People, Law in Plain Language. Leslie said something, ladies and gentlemen, earlier about being um, charged or proceeding by way of a bill of information or criminal information. That is, in fact, a part of the process, but that comes after your show cause hearing, whether it's a grand jury like you have in in the state of New York, New Jersey, or the federal system, or a preliminary hearing in those few small states that call that initial appearance a show-cause right. hearing. And that hearing is for one reason. It's for the government, whether it's the state, the county, or whoever, to demonstrate to a judicial body or the grand jury, which is a, um, 23 to 26 civilians, to say, yo, look, this is the case we have. We're accusing this person of committing these crimes. This is the evidence we have right now. We're telling you we have enough at least to go to trial. It's not going to satisfy any beyond a reasonable doubt, but what it's going to satisfy, it's more than enough to say something happened and he probably did it. But what Mr. Vaz has told us so far is without his knowledge, his lawyer bamboozled him, waived that part, and, and, and tricked him into going forward at trial. And there's a whole bunch of other things that happened that were unseedy, unsavory. And whoever this lawyer is, let's hope and pray he's not out there screwing other people over. Um, Mr. Vaz, during the course of your trial, did you testify? Yes, I did. Wow. Why? Huh? Why? Why? Yes. Well, because I didn't rob this man. I had no knowledge of nothing that happened. You know, uh, I got on the stand. When they put me on the stand, you know, I explained that I was charged with robbing a drugstore that I didn't know anything about any delivery job until we were there in the courtroom. Wow. Before you, know? you testified, did you and your attorney at least have time to prepare and practice for your testimony? I met with this man two times, wow. Deborah. Each time I met with him, his only concern was whether or not my mother sent him a check. Wow. You know, he didn't, he didn't explain. Wow. The, you know, Deborah, he didn't explain to me that three men actually committed the robbery, wow. that it was four and a half months before I so was arrested. So you didn't have access to the police reports, any statements the witnesses gave? I didn't have Wow. The only thing that I knew is that I was charged with robbing the drugstore. I was when I was released. I was released into the custody of my mother because I was a juvenile. When you were released from what? From when they, initially when they arrested me, February the fifteenth, nineteen seventy five. Right. When I went before the court commissioner, they released me into the custody of my mother. Did they put any restrictions on your movement, like um, the GPS movement or anything? Was that I could not go back to the drugstore. And that was it. So initially you were charged, what it sounds like, as a juvenile, and at some point they did a criminal information charging you as an adult. Is that no, right? No, I was, I was charged as an adult. Well, that's interesting that they release you to your mom if they charge you as an adult, huh? You didn't have to that. pay any that's bail or anything? That's coming in. Wow. So, you know, it's a lot that happened that, you know... I'm, I'm, I'm reading from a biography that you sent us, Leslie, and, and what I want to say to folks out there, and you all know, those of you who are regular listeners of the show... It is so very important, particularly when your liberty or your money or your property or something that's near and dear to you is at stake, that you ask questions of your lawyer. Don't agree to stuff. Don't sign shit. Sometimes lawyers will say to their clients, particularly in the criminal arena, 
yo, you can't take this case to trial. Here's this. Here's that. Here's what you're looking at. If that lawyer can't explain to you more than just, yo, you can't take this case to trial. Here's what you're looking at without telling you the pros and the cons of your defense and the pros and the cons of the Commonwealth case. You need to ask questions because the moment you take that last step, either for a bench trial in front of a judge or that guilty plea, you can't take that shit back. You can't take that shit back. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, it's a lot easier to be judged by 12 than carried by six or think that you can put your fate in the hands of a judge when all you have is he said, she said, their word against yours. There are so many nuances to this whole criminal trial issue. I know you agree with that, Leslie, right? Yes, I do. So Leslie's story goes on to say, and I don't want to turn this into some boring humdrum. So you know, Leslie, I don't know, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I'm finna throw some stuff at you, my brother, all right? Come on. When this robbery was supposedly, um, when this robbery supposedly went down, were you given an opportunity to provide at least a, a hint of where you would have been, an alibi defense of some sort? Well, in the, at the trial, when they asked me, well, on November the second, nineteen seventy-four, where were you at? Where were you at? I said, well, if it was a weekend, I spent all my weekends at my grandfather's house on Hanover Street in the South Baltimore area. And how far okay, would that so have been? I knew that if when they said that it happened on a weekend, I said, well, I was at my grandfather's house because all my weekends I stayed at my grandfather's house. Was this during which was the close to Southern High School? Would this have been during the day or at night when the robbery occurred? It was at night. Okay. It was in the evening. Did your lawyer call your your grandfather to verify no, where you he was? No, he didn't. He did not call my grandfather. He did not call the owner of the store, of the pharmacy. Right. He didn't call the other full-time delivery drivers who worked at the pharmacy. What did, the, to, what did Mr. Chester say was taken from him? Drugs, money, what? He said $120 was That's taken all? from him. Wow. And the liquor that the people ordered. Oh, he was. You could deliver liquor back in '75. Where was I at? Yeah. Oh, was, I was he, eleven. Was del- he, he was. De- yeah, he was delivering <laughs> liquor. You know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Leslie, don't go nowhere. Don't hang up. We're okay. having a conversation with Mr. Leslie Vaz, who spent ten years wrongfully convicted, wrongfully imprisoned in Maryland State for an armed robbery that he did not commit. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the what? Sound from Germantown. We're going to take a really quick, brief break. Yeah. Mr. Vaz, don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Okay, then. Just caught me. 
he made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. But who? The girl next door, you know? I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. All right. Honey came in and she got me red. Forgive our producer, y'all. She don't know but five songs. That was the beginning and a little bit of shaggy. It wasn't me. That's appropriate for Mr. Vaz. Ladies and gentlemen, we're oh, talking, man. too, on the other side of the break. We began our conversation with Mr. Leslie Vaz, a brother who spent 10 years wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, and imprisoned in Maryland State Prison for an armed robbery. Not only did he did not do, he had no knowledge of and didn't know nothing about. During the course of our quick little break, our Mama Black was sitting in some very angry text messages. <laughs> and Mr. Vaz, she wanted to know the lawyer name, where he at, how she can get she with him. She got your back, man. She, she got said she back. finna find him and do what she need to do. For sure. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know that the title of the show tonight, um, what, it, what it said, because I didn't make the title. Remember what I told y'all. When, Renee make, when our producer makes a title up, it's boring. When, when me and Black have a little bit to say with it, it's a little bit more fun. What was the title, baby? She has no idea. Okay. So we are, we, are, we are hoping to, during the course of the rest of this year and going into next year and the future, to have a series of shows that talk about those who are wrongfully incarcerated, whether those who are on death row and by the good grace of God they make their way out, like Brother Sujai Graham, or those who are wrongfully incarcerated, period, and by the grace of God, find their way out like Brother Voss. And we're going to concentrate as these shows come on and we present them to you. We'd like to continue to give you those life challenges that these brothers have. Like Mr. Voss here, who can't seem to get the people off their asses to grant that expungement like they were supposed to. Strike that, strike that. I'm not striking ass. That's, <laughs> that could be a mule. So the Tonight Show is, oh my God, the title is so fun. Deborah's special guest is Maryland's first exonerated. Oh, above that, above that, in the red. Hmm. She's reading. Reading is fundamental. Shut up. I don't have my glasses <laughs> on. So, Leslie, it's our intention to put yours and everybody else's stories out there like yours so that we can get a real sense of not just knowing that this happens, but to feel these people. You know what I'm saying? To be able to reach out and know y'all and realize that you are humans and that it happens. My philosophy is I would rather let 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man spend a day in jail. For sure. You feel me? I and agree. people like Leslie Vaz, like Brother Sujai Graham, just bring that home for me over and over and over again. Leslie, I'm finna get newsy now, and don't be offended, all right? Okay. When you were convicted and you went to jail at 17, what did that feel like? I mean... What it felt well, like. first of all, you a big dude. You six foot seven, so you probably looked a little bit older than seventeen, right? Because mm. of your your size. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I I don't imagine you had very many um, folk trying to push up on you because as big as you were, right? No, I ain't had that problem. I ain't that, think so. No, <laughs> not at six foot seven. <laughs> no, so, my problem my problem was being in prison for something I didn't do. I know that's you know, right. So how did you occupy to, yourself? Try. Well, my time was spent uh, trying to get more information pertaining to my case. You know, death row, when I was in the Maryland Penitentiary, which was a maximum security facility uh, here in Baltimore, 
uh, Death Row was right above me. I slept Ooh. in A125, wow. which is the West Wing. And wow. Death Row was directly above me. Oh, it was yeah. a fellow up there that, uh, you know, I talked with Leslie him. Did, Leslie, baby, did you say a fellow? Yeah, fellow? it was a fellow that was on the section. That what the hell is a fellow? Huh? Is that like a dude? <laughs> yeah, it was a dude. Oh, it was I a dude. Was me. Okay, Death go Row. ahead. Go ahead, I'm, baby. I'm, you know, I'm holding one ear trying to hear you because, like I said, your your volume is real, real low. Wow. Right? Okay. And do you do you have your phone on speaker or do you have it to your ear? No, I have it to my ear. Okay. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, I can hear you better now. Okay. What what you may have to do is if you can do you, are you on a cell or on a house phone? Try I'm to on make a house phone. Okay. Try to make sure your volume is a little bit higher, but I'll make sure. Did I speak louder too? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Just tell me so I don't scream in your ear. Um, okay. okay. No, that's better. That's a whole lot better. All right. So what we were discussing, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vaz was trying to explain to me what the hell a fellow was, but now I know. It's a dude. So you said that the dude was above you in death row, and then, and then what? Yeah, he uh, was telling me, but I explained to him that I had got 20 years for something I didn't know anything about. He said, well, the only way you're going to be able to do, do help yourself is to learn the law. Right. And... and Give them back what they gave you. you did know? Did you and your mother not think that the first thought was to go after that mother scrunching yeah. lawyer well, Nancy, and make was, him was, do his job? Yeah, but you got Deborah. This man was he was a bar council member for the attorney grievance commission. Wow! You know oh my God! So during the course of your incarceration. You didn't file a complaint, a grievance against yes, this I dude? Did. And what I happened found, as a result? I filed post-convictions. Well, I, my initial appeal was denied. The writ of certiorari was denied. Right. Right. Then the first post-conviction petition I filed, uh, I had a hearing. And what he the means, ladies and gentlemen, there was that your lawyer was incompetent. Right. Ineffective assistance of counsel. Let me slow you down for a second, Leslie. Ladies and gentlemen, what he means by appeal, when you're convicted, you have certain appellate rights. And what are those rights? You can have a higher court, higher than the court where you had your case, a trial court. You have the appeals court. And you can say to that appeals court, the law says there are certain things that a trial judge is supposed to do. It's our position the trial judge didn't do those things. Grant me an appeal. Most of the time, your first time through, you're not going to get that appeal granted. Unless you're in those liberal states and you got some money like New York, California, Texas in some instances, North Carolina. And by that I mean the laws in those states and the way the laws are enforced in those states are a lot more defendant friendly. You feel me? Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, Texas, those states are more like the federal system where once they convict you, they don't give a damn about you. So they make it a lot harder. And most of the time... The appellate court's position is this. We're going to presume the trial court got it right. We're going to presume if the jury convicted you, they got it right. So you have a big uphill battle to convince us otherwise. And that's probably where you started at, right, Leslie? They said, we ain't going to grant you no appeal. We think the judge did the right thing. Is that right? Right. The Court of Appeals, Court of Special Appeals is the first appeals uh, stage here in the state of Maryland. And in Pennsylvania, it's called the Superior Court. And then what? Okay. What's your high court card in Maryland? Uh, court of Appeals. In in Pennsylvania, ours is called the Supreme Court. Yours is, right. is not okay. unlike New York, that, where their their high court is also called the Deborah, Court of Appeals. To show you how, how Maryland's law is, 
when I was, was originally tried, I was tried in the Supreme Bench for Baltimore City. Wow, okay. That's the highest okay. trial court. And then they, then they were forced to change it to the circuit court for Baltimore City. Wait, the Supreme Court in, in Maryland is the trial court level or is no, it higher? what happened was Baltimore City at that time in 1975, the name of the, the, the criminal court here was the Supreme Bench for Baltimore City. Okay. The federal government issued an order that they had to change the name. Because it was confusing. Right. Making them think they was okay. the end-all, be-all, do-all, some bullshit like that. Right. Okay. You know, so they had to change the name. So they then they then they renamed it the Circuit Court for Baltimore. So City. now in in Baltimore, in the state of Maryland, in Baltimore City, your first level of court is the Circuit Court. Is that right? That's the Circuit Court. Now in the Circuit no, Court, the first court is the District Court. Okay. The District Court. Okay. Then the Circuit Court. Then the Court of Court of Court of Special Appeal. And then the Court of Appeals. And then the Court of Appeal. And that's kind of like here in Pennsylvania, except. In Philadelphia, we don't have that district court. We have something called the MC Court. But there are other shows that we did that folks can listen to. But, ladies and gentlemen, what he means is at the district court level, you learn what your charges are, you get your bail set, and then you have your show clause hearing if you're going to have one, and then you go up the line. It's very, very important, no matter what state you're in, it's really important that you go on your Internet and you get a feel for what your what levels of courts you have within your city your county, your township, or your state, if you ever find yourself embroiled in the criminal justice system or someone that you love in that position, it's going to help you to have an idea of what the hell is going on. And I don't care if it's 1975 or 2012. You need to know for your own peace of mind because Mr. Vaz is living proof that he, that especially in 1975 when we were just starting to be accepted and brought along into mainstream, realizing that it wasn't okay just to screw us over and forget about us. And even still in 2012, you hear all kind of horrible stories about folks being wrongfully convicted and exonerated by DNA, by all right. manner of other things. You need to make sure, folks, and you hear me say this all the time, get involved in your case. So, Leslie, one of the things that cracks me up with some of my clients, especially the young bulls, they are so easily influenced by the jailhouse lawyers. How did that work in your situation? The dude you were telling us about. Again. How many jailhouse lawyers did you hook up with during the course of your, your incarceration? Uh, how many did I hook up with? Uh -huh. How mm. many decided they were going to step I, in and take you over know, your case? Deborah, uh, it's not uh, a thing that you, well, in Maryland's institutions, you don't really share your information with other individuals inside the jail. Okay. You know, so right, I right. started learning law by myself. I started reading the annotated codes and all. Right? Oh, wow, the old uh, stuff. I wow. I started doing Lassie, law, law by assistance to state institutions. Wow, right? so you know how to do book research, huh? You don't know I how to do it. I myself. I'm a certified paralegal. Wow. I got my certification while I was still inside the institution. Wow. I became one of the teachers of the law class. Huh. So I you, did my own case. I'm, I'm scared of you. Ladies and gentlemen, All for right, those of y'all that really right. care, lawyers nowadays, my generation and younger probably, we don't, most of us don't even remember how to do book research. Most of us just go online, go to Lexus, Nexus, Westlaw, and do that sort of thing. And what... What Mr. Vaz is talking about is that book research where you got to pull this book, that code, that but it's a pain in the butt. If we had to, we could probably do it, but it's a pain in the butt. That's a pretty important skill to have, Leslie. That's a really important skill to have. So 
let me ask you that some 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 more. I want to delve a little bit more into the situation that you were in. What you were not tried with the two so-called other co-defendants? Is that right? No, those people were convicted um, before I was even arrested. In fact, I found out that they pled guilty to the to the charge. Wow! And so your lawyer never even reached out to them to find out what their case was no. about, get their statements, and no. all that. My lawyer railroaded me. Straight simple as oh that. Oh my God! You know, man, I, you know, I'm not cutting no games. I know the deal. I know it now. I didn't know it then. Hold on for a second. What did you, you say, Black? I said it, if, huh? it, if the lawyer would have took the time out to reach to the co-defendants, they probably would have got him off. Well, not even that. At least reach out and get the statements they gave to the police and see if what they admitted to can be corroborated or be th- tearing apart. By Mr. By the so-called victim's testimony. Wow, that's, that's some. Man. And ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear if you really do care and you're interested about the number and types of folks that are in jail and having been wrongfully convicted, the stuff that you're going to hear is going to turn your stomach. Once yeah. again, my producer's putting in front of my face the number to call if you want to um, co- um, uh, participate in our conversation <laughs> or cooperate, cooperate or snitch. Two one five four three five four zero nine nine. Two one five four three five four zero nine nine. If you don't want to call that number, you can send us a text message. You can hit us up on Facebook for the people, Law and Plain Language, Twitter for the people. And I think that's it. So Leslie, hearing some of the things. Okay, it's it's um at Deborah Ann Law. That's the Twitter. For Twitter, if you want to go to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Deborah Rainey Law. So, Mr. Vaz, you have to understand, being a criminal lawyer by trade, by practice, by specialty, it really turns my stomach to hear some of the stuff that you are bringing up. But not really, because some of that stuff is still happening today. Not, yeah, not to the extent that you're saying to us. But the the bottom line is the fact that it happens at all. It's pretty disgusting. Sure. It's pretty disgusting. So, Leslie, when you started doing your research in the law library, how the hell did you know what you were looking for? Well, initially I had to find how to prepare different motions and what, what, I was, what was available for me to utilize so that I could try to bring my case back into the, the district court after you the were circuit con- court. After you were convicted, you, you knew, did, were you told or were you informed that if you could no longer afford your attorney to, to file an appeal, right. the state's so, required you know, to appoint. The office would, would not represent me anymore. Why? Wait, 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 hold on. The lawyer at the trial was someone that your mother paid, right? Yeah, I had a paid attorney. But for, even for, back, but even back in 1975, the states were required to appoint counsel to you if you could not afford counsel. You mean to tell me right. that the PD's office wouldn't do your appeal? Yeah, no. Uh, we had a, I had a paid attorney for the appeal, and just like today like i've never seen you face to face right i've never seen him face to face but please tell me you communicated with the lawyer via letter look i'm not no, so surprised I, I never got a letter from him God when i got a letter from him i got a letter telling me that my appeal had been denied did you get a copy my of the mom, man's brief huh did the lawyer send you a copy of the brief he filed at least 
No, he didn't. Did the lawyer send you a letter and say, yo, what do you think the legal issues are in the case? Here's no, what he didn't. He was Good God people. Almighty. Where your mama find these people? In the back of a Cracker Jack box? These attorneys, these attorneys are so-called top attorneys in Maryland. Wow. The attorney that I had for an appeal, his name was Gerald Krupp. Wow. He come out of Roland Walker, Van Babel, and the law firm. Okay, I don't know what the hell that is, but it must mean something. Uh, wow. Uh, wow. 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 I got a letter. My mom told me that she had, she had paid an attorney to handle the appeal. Right. He, in turn, told her that he was going to file an appeal, that he didn't have to talk to me. He had to go by what was in the record. Shh. Well, let me, let me say this to you. Sure, there's nothing that you can offer him that will substitute for the record. And ladies and gentlemen, what they mean by the record, every time there's a court proceeding, there's supposed to be a transcription taken of some sort. Nowadays, they have the digital transcript where there's no one there actually typing things up, but there's a person who's responsible for hitting the button to start the transcription, stopping it whenever the court says, whenever the court wants to say some off-the-wall shit that they don't want on the record. Or if a lawyer like me slips and says, ooh, shit, and they say, please scratch that, strike that. So that's a digital transcription. Here in Philadelphia County, most of our courtrooms, we have the actual stenographer sitting there in her little machine typing up everything that's said. So what his lawyer meant by he didn't need him because of the record, I'll agree with him in this respect. For the appeal, the appellate court is only going to look at the record. They're going to look at what was said during the trial what documents or exhibits were introduced at the trial, right? But So right. for all intents and purposes, he was, he was right. Did he need you to, for purposes of writing the brief? No. But what he could have used you for was to get a feel for who you are, what you are, and sort of motivate him so that he can write the legal issues the correct right. way. And he also could have got other evidence that I had, I had uh, to show that I was familiar with the victim, with the people who own the store. Well, remember, though, certain appeals are limited to certain things, though. Right, I understand that. So but that would have made it stronger for the ineffective assistance of That would have been the, the, mo the strongest, the very strongest evidence for the ineffective assistance of counsel. Right. And let that's, me ask well, you this. That's why I was thinking that he would have been, if he had met me, then he would have known that the man never called my witnesses. Well, no, baby, he would have got that from the record by reading it to say there was no witnesses yeah. called on your behalf. So was there ever a specific appeal done that was saying that your lawyer, the one that represented you at trial, was ineffective? Say it again. Was there ever an appeal done that strictly concentrated on challenging the effectiveness of your trial attorney? No, he didn't put that in there. He, he only attacked the evidence uh, being the, uh, the victim made a statement one week and then saying that I would be back. He never filed ineffective assistance counsel. Did you ever I end raised, up filing I one? In, I raised ineffective assistance counsel on the post-conviction petition. Okay. And by post-conviction, ladies and gentlemen, he's referring to what we've talked about on this show in the past, the PCRA or the Post-Conviction Relief Act. In Pennsylvania, it's your last-ditch effort if you've been convicted of a crime and you're doing time to try to challenge what happened to you and get a new trial. And most of us are the trial lawyers who also do the Post-Conviction Relief Act work or the PCRA work. We save that as our last-ditch effort. And in Pennsylvania, I don't know if this is true in Maryland, Leslie, but in Pennsylvania, you have a year to file your petition under the Post-Conviction Relief Act 
after your last appellate decision has been made, no, after a final no, decision has no been made here. Pennsylvania, it's a year. There's exceptions to wow. it. There's times wow. when it's told, but for the most part, you have a year from the, the final decision in your appellate action. So in the post-conviction relief petition in Pennsylvania goes back in front of your trial judge. Really? Did you hear what I say <laughs> it? It goes back in front of your trial judge. And to me, that just blows my ever-loving mind. Yeah, but I'm not an appellate lawyer. Kind of Look, people smarter than me figured out why this shit should work. I don't agree with it, but, you know, they're the smart ones, yeah. and I'm just a dumb grunt. So what can I say? <laughs> um, anyway, Leslie, I, I want to say from those of us here at this show that we applaud you. We think that for someone, I mean, you can, talking to you, I don't hear the anger, the sort of rawr that I would feel had I gone through what you went through. So with that, yeah, we want to say, years old I know that's right. I, I know. know look, look. I've been home since October the 17th, 1984. Yeah, but I, I hear you. And I just want to say for all, all the people listening and from us to you, we applaud you. Thank we you, think sir. that for you sure. having gone through what you went through takes some courage, some dedication, and just a whole lot of godliness. What was that movie where Ving Rain played the gay man? And he said, they're going to make me lose my salvation. I'm going to beat the hell out. Preach heaven to you and beat the hell out of you. What was the name of that movie? If you haven't seen this movie, y'all, you got to see it. Ving Rain's played a big queen. Holiday Heart. Holiday Heart. Remember? <laughs> when they stole this okay, boy's bike, they, he said, I'll preach heaven and beat the hell out of you. And what I'm saying to you, Mr. Um, Voss, it is always much easier, I think, to maintain that anger, that hatred, all that stuff that can get inside and just tear you up and send you down a spiraling road out of control. And it's nice to hear that you chose not to go that route. You chose to take that negative and turn it into a positive. And we just want you to hear from us to say, God bless you, and we applaud you. We got much love for you. What's this I hear about your having received the first settlement from the state of Maryland for a wrongfully convicted yes, uh, person? I, uh, when I came home, I immediately started <laughs> going to different news media uh, stations and uh, writers, news writers at different uh, newspapers, and I ended up meeting uh, a lady by the name of Mary Jo Davis who started a program called Maryland New Directions, women. Oh, wow. What's her uh, name? She in yes, turn introduced me to her husband, J. Edward Davis, and we put together a petition and submitted it to the uh, Board of Public Works in Annapolis for up under the statute, which had never been used before mm -hmm. for compensation wow. to a person who had been wrongfully imprisoned. Wow. I uh, then had a hearing down in Annapolis and all I right, all right, Leslie, let me stop you there for a second, babe. What the hell's a hern? What's that? How, how come y'all people down in Maryland sound like y'all from down south? It is south of the Mason-Dixon yeah, line, isn't it? Yeah, that's southern draw. Baby, I'm just teasing you. He's like, bitch, I, you ain't going to get that many too many times. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I was asking you what's a hern. That must be what y'all say hearing down south, huh? Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to For the People Law in Plain Language. Joining us by phone is Mr. Leslie Voss who spent 10 long years in jail convicted of a 20-year sentence for an armed robbery that he did not commit, where he was, uh, he was convicted based solely on the testimony 
of a lying eyewitness, so-called victim. Mr. Vaz has told us thus far that despite having been granted a full pardon by the governor of the state of Maryland, he has not yet been able to get this record expunged because it seems like the courts would like anything better than to help him give him what, he, what, what we took away from him. They don't want to give it back to him. Mr. Vaz was 17 years old when he was wrongfully arrested, convicted. And as he talks to us here today, he's 55 years old with a bachelor's degree in, you said social work, Mr. Vaz? Sociology. Sociology. And he was telling us that he was, and I asked him because I threw it out there, he was one of the, were you the, one of the first people or the first person to be compensated for being wrongfully incarcerated? I am the first person. In the state of Maryland? Or? In the state of Maryland. Wow. Now, as a result of you getting your um, pittance, I should say, that pitiful right, amount, whatever it was. I mean, how do you pay someone back for 10 years in jail? Okay. There's no amount of money. You, you can't put a price on that. But right. at, the fact of the matter is, a lot of states, like Texas, for example, there is something called the 11th Amendment. It gives the states immunity from certain things. And we'll leave it at that. We don't have to go into my whole constitutional humdrum because everybody's going to start falling asleep. <laughs> but, for the, but the simple fact is this. States can choose whether or not they're going to allow their citizens to sue them for certain things. And in Pennsylvania, for example, there's a statute that lists all the things that the state will let you sue it for. And if it ain't in there, you can't sue them. And I don't recall seeing nowhere in there that you can sue them in the state court for wrongful um, imprisonment. The fact that Maryland... No, baby. No, 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 no. You got to go to the federal court. Hell yeah. You got to go to the federal court for that. And a lot of of states that did have that are starting to put a cap on it or rewriting it or getting rid of it altogether because there's too many people coming up having been wrongfully convicted. So they're trying to cover themselves. You know that. God is good. I've been living in Cedars. Where? There was no innocent projects or centurion ministries when I first went to prison and when I came home. When I came out here, didn't nobody want to hear about somebody being wrongfully imprisoned. I know, that's right. They didn't right. believe that that could actually happen. Who didn't believe that? A lot of people didn't. Oh, please. How many, how many I mean, you know, I the fight I had when I first came home. During the 60s? When I came seasons? home in 1984, nobody wanted to even hear. I had documentation showing that I had been wrongfully imprisoned. I went to the news media and wow. Telling me that that didn't happen. Wow. They didn't believe that somebody could be actually wrongfully imprisoned. Wow. Now that I've been home, look if they years, can put a if they can put a goddamn water hose on Dr. King and send dogs to bite him in the ass, punch hmm. people who are at a non-violent march. Why the right. hell could you not think we brown folk, black folk, yellow folks can be wrongfully imprisoned? That's ludicrous. Yeah, that's the same thing I was trying to tell them. And and, that's why I wanted to show. And what you said, Mr. Voss, about the Innocence Project, a lot of the Innocence Projects now are having sort of spinoffs of them. Because when it first started, this whole idea with this DNA becoming a, a science right. that, 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 that got some notoriety, if you will, yeah, a I'm lot not, of states I'm wrote that into started. your... Who, um, B- um, Barry, Barry Schiff? Yeah, I met Not him when Barry he Schiff. first started. The Innocence Project? When he first started, when they <laughs> first started that. Were you still in or were you out? No, I was home. I'm trying to tell you, my case stopped 1984. 
Wow. And it's a project that, and all that stuff started to... after. Right, 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 right. started right, like 89, 88, 87, 89 on, on, on those years. I'd been home almost five years before those other organizations even became in existence. And I used to fight and struggle to talk to people in reference to my case. You know? Right, right. Now, by the grace of God, I see people being released. They got over 1,000... Uh, exonerees that they are that they are listing on the national registry from the year 1989 until now. Now, with this national registry you're speaking about, this is not the death row. This is just exonerees. Period. With all exonerees. That includes those on death row. That includes those on death row. Wow. Too. How many did you say? It's over a thousand. Jesus 1, Lord, and that's just in the state of Maryland. No, that's not here in the state of That's all over the United States. Wow, that's too many. That is way too you, many. You, you Good go on God the, the uh, National Registry, exonerees, and they give you a list and a name of everybody. And that's so how do we find How do we find that's, that website? I'm not listed on it. Wow, how do we find my that? Conviction, my conviction and exoneration took place before 1989. And what's that so website? from 1989... On up is on it, and it's a thousand people. Just how many? How many of us prior to that? And and is there a there a website folks can go to if they want to get this information? Yeah, uh, wait a minute. While he's thinking about that, ladies and gentlemen, there is something that we pulled up that's called the Center on Wrongful Convictions of Youth. It's maintained by the North Northwestern Law. From there. Okay, so if you go to Northwestern Law, Blum, B-L-U, okay, dude, be quiet, B-L-U-H-M Legal Clinic, click on the link for Center on Wrongful Convictions of Youth. You can read Mr. Leslie Voss's story and any other young youth under the legal age of consent who've been wrongfully convicted and exonerated. And actually, there's a nice little small post-exoneration picture of Mr. Vaz looking with his glasses and his um, studious <laughs> look that he has. Mr. Vaz, I want to say once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, what I would ask for you right now is you have listeners who are both exonerees, folks still in jail, waiting and hoping and praying to be exonerated, and their loved ones. What kind of hope, message of hope, would you convey to them so that they know that, like you, all is not lost? What, what would you say to them? Hey, keep God first. Don't get lost. Do not get caught up in what's happening inside the institution. Your focus is about getting out and wow. be safe. Wow. Leslie Voss, thank you so much for taking your time and calling us and sharing your story with us. We hope that you'll be willing to come back at another show and actually come in person so we can give you some donuts and some coffee. We are a nonprofit, you know what I mean? That works. That we works. really Thank appreciate you. it. Mr. Leslie Voss, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving Thank you, to you, Mr. Care. Voss. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Eat a lot Thank of turkey. You. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to For the People Law in plain language. We were talking to Leslie Voss, the Man spent 10 years of a 20-year sentence in jail, wrongfully convicted by a bench trial of armed robbery in which he was identified four months after the robbery. Really? 
four months for real. My God, I, some of the things about his story just made me want to puke. And I have to um, ask your forgiveness, listeners. Normally, we do a little bit of a spiel about our show, the previous show, but we wanted to get Mr. Vazo and get his story out there. And I hope that you guys were as impacted by his story as I was. And I was merely just reading a little bit of a snippet that we got off of the website before we called him. Um, If you want to know about last week's show, go to ForThePeople.Podomatic.com. The show talked about, really quickly, a film called Broken on All Sides by Matthew Fillisher. Joining him in the studio was Owen... Lauren Schmidt, I had it right and I screwed it up. Owen, if you're listening, forgive me. He's so cute. <laughs> the dude looked like a young Paul Bunyan. He's oh, really yeah. cute. He was with it's a group with the called beer. Decarcerate PA, and their mission is to get folks out of jail and help our government find a an alternative to incarceration. Paul and Matthew have agreed to come back and to finish our discussion that we were having um, as it relates to the system being broken on all sides. Paul played snippet. Paul Matthew played snippets of his um, documentary, and wherein we had some of the Philadelphia um, personalities um, appear on his film. The website is www.brokenonallsides.org or com. I don't remember, but you can go to the website forthepeople.podomatic.com or to deborahrainylaw.com. Click on the talk radio link. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Thanksgiving week. I came home from where I called my producer on the phone, and she was singing in her tone-deafy way, chestnuts <laughs> roasting on an open fire, and it's so sweet. So we're going to ask her to put a little bit of her little tone-deaf chestnut out there. Baby, give him a taste of your, your singing ability. I am waiting for my contract. I will not do that until <laughs> I get a contract. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we are contemplating a show I'm asking for, and I've been begging my producer for a show once every month or once every couple of months, where all we do is discuss our listeners' legal issues. You call us, you email us, you text us, and we put your legal issues on the air, and we toss them around. And if you ask particular questions that fall within a specialized legal arena, I'll even reach out to some of my friends and have them bite, throw around your legal question for you. So the producer and I were throwing around some titles for this particular show, and I came up with a really cool title. She liked it, and I forgot what the hell it was. What was that title? You sure I didn't come up with that title? Uh, yeah, I'm quite sure. I could have. No. no. It, it could have been really groovy. No. Anyway, we would like your feedback groovy. on this type of an idea. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up at the email for the people at DebraRainLaw.com, Facebook for the people on Plain Language, um, at Deborah Rainey Law on Twitter. We do have a For the People Twitter page, and we're working on that, and we are working on a For the People website. It's just not up yet. Um, this is Thanksgiving week. I'm going to ask that all of us, in honor of Mr. Voss, Brother Sujai Graham, and all those brothers and sisters out there who are sitting in prison, wrongfully convicted, wrongfully accused, who are sitting on death row, facing that ultimate punishment for something they didn't do, that we remember to include them in our prayers as we're saying our thanks for that which we have and we're grateful for. I'm not a religious person. I am a spiritual person. Whether you 
pray to Allah, Jehovah, whoever you pray to, the universe, whoever. Say a small, silent prayer for anyone like Suja Graham, like Mr. Vaz, who are still fighting that fight to be freed from their chains and their bounds. We are thinking about you and we appreciate you. Once again, we thank you for joining our show. We hope that you continue to support us. G-Time Radio is a non-profit radio. We are asking that folks that listen who can donate a dollar, 50 cent, 25 cent. If you're interested, hit me up on my website, DebraRainLaw.com. Email us for the people at DebraRainLaw.com. It's listeners like you who keep this radio station going and who keep our show going. Normally, I tell you the next show that I want you to listen to, and we always say who? Serena Soul Brown every Wednesday from 3 to 5. There's a show that comes on before me from 4 to 6 called Reggae with, um, what's her name? Give me that. She's Super Tang, Super Tang, Super Tang. She is so cool. She called in once. I want you all to check her out every Tuesday before our show from 4 to 6. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed your time. But guess what? It's the Black Minute. Yeah. Go Black. (laughs) All right. Death Row A plethora of left go souls No thoughts of I'm next to go home Instead, gel bars bang their eardrums Like techno, hip-hop, a disco Or rock and roll, death row A avenue of heroes Some may frame my last statement in disdain They hate it, they say that things should be this way well, I beg to differ. I feel in my inner that some instances were innocent and we just didn't witness it. And our failures, soldiers were made. Exonerated and elevated to a level of perseverance we could, perseverance we could only dream of. I'm tired of the system making mistakes and trying to clean up. I feel movement from the underdog. Check the scoreboard. We up. A manifested dream at last. Free dumb while miles still lay ahead of our struggle. The heroes of death row added a stripe to our collar, a notch to our belt. Something like November 6, 2012. As far as the top is still, this is the closest I ever felt. So let's be proud <coughs> within each other, within ourselves. Let's smile. Wow. And I was not yeah. listening. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't help but to listen to Sister Black because she always giving us some powerful words. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our show tonight. Show, we show, thank you show. so much for tuning in. And once again, think about donating a dollar, 20 cent, 50 cent, whatever you got. If you're interested, hit us up. Say bye, fam. Good night. Bye.
him love and affection to keep him strong moving in the right direction living just enough just enough for the city Information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution, created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted, often signing away our chances, because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech. When this situation could have been avoided from the start, if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law, so this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms. They have expressed her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. 